0: So this is what I love about um, just preaching through different books. I don't have to pick and choose what passage to preach on. Uh, I just have to preach the next passage. And and sometimes God in his providence, he allows us to look at a passage that really fits the occasion. I think today's passage is kind of like this because for the very first time in the Gospel of Luke, we have the disciples, the 12, going out on a missionary journey, uh, a short-term mission trip. We see that Jesus, he has been the one who's been teaching, who's been casting out demons. He's been the one who's healing a lot of people. People are coming after Jesus. They love Jesus. But Luke chapter 9 is a turning point in the gospel of Luke. It's the place where now no longer the disciples are spectators. They are now partners of the gospel. Now they're put into action. So far they've been just watching, looking. They've been learning from Jesus. But now they have to take all that they have learned and, and put it into action. And what we see in verse 1 is this, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Notice that all that Jesus is asking them to do is exactly what he's been doing so far. He's been healing people, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and what Jesus says is, I I call you, I give you my power, my authority, now I want you to go out and, and share this good news. And we read in verse 3 that one side note is that take nothing on your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, nothing, take nothing. Now this seems quite extreme uh, because for us, even if we go on like a uh, a one-night trip, we try to pack our suitcases, we, we bring multiple clothes. Sometimes I would go to youth retreats, and I'm surprised because literally our youth, they're just going for a couple of days, and they'll bring suitcases and all these different things. Um, but what Jesus says is this, hey, you're going on this journey, but don't bring anything with you. Why? Why would Jesus ask the disciples to leave everything behind? I think it's because he wants to teach the disciples a very important lesson through this journey. He wants them to learn that his power and his authority is more than enough, that as long as they have Jesus and his authority and his power, then they're going to be good, that they can carry on the mission of of God. It's, It's a way that they can learn how to solely depend on Jesus and his word, and Sure enough, the disciples, they obeyed Jesus. They followed the instructions of Jesus. And what we read in verse 6 is that they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So they had this incredible missionary journey. They come back, they're super excited, they want to share all that happened. They're also super exhausted because, you know, they've been traveling, and what we read in other Gospels, when they're recording the same account, they say that when they returned, Jesus was still surrounded by many crowds, so um, they were put to work, they were exhausted, and so what Jesus does is, in verse 10, we read that he takes these people to a desolate place, a town called Bethsaida, which was a town that exists in the middle of nowhere. It was a town where, you know, there wasn't anything around it. And the reason why he did this is because he wanted to go on a retreat, kind of a break with his disciples to encourage them, to do a debrief, and also to get some rest. And so he's, he's wanting to take this intentional time with his disciples. But what we read in verse 11 is that the crown learned, learned about this and they followed him. And so it's the point where when they arrive at this place, already there's a big crowd there. That's what the gospel of Mark tells us. And so uh, you you kind of wanted to avoid the crowd, get away from people, and when you arrive at this destination, there's more people than you ever imagined. Like, I, I love going on to vacations. I mean, I love working for God's glory, for his church, but vacations are actually sweet. And I don't know what I would do if I went on a vacation and at that location, all of a sudden, like, you know, it's full of people in my congregation, like, I'll be great. I'll be like, yeah, that's exciting. But at the same time, like, it it almost feels like I have to be a pastor again, right? I have to work again. Imagine you go on a vacation and you meet your clients. You meet, like, your your coworkers. And the whole vacation, you have to talk about meetings, talk about business. Like, how, how crazy would that be? And so you can tell that the disciples, you know, at this point, they're frustrated. They want a break. But notice how Jesus responds to this crowd. It says in verse 11, he welcomed them. And spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. And this is what makes Jesus so special. When he could have said, "Man, I'm on a break, my hours have passed. Uh, no, he gets back to work. And it's not because he's a workaholic. It's not because he's a people pleaser. What we read in Mark 6:34, talking about the same account, says, "When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. But it's not that he just felt bad for these people. It says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus, when he sees this crowd, he doesn't just see things on the surface. He sees their spiritual need. He sees that they are like a sheep without a shepherd, in other words, lost. That they they are without direction, without purpose. Without a leader, they are exposed to danger. And so Jesus, seeing all of this, seeing the spiritual need that exists within this crowd, he, he begins to teach, he begins to feed the, the, the lost sheep. And I think this is how we ought to view people. Now, a lot of times when we view people, uh, we see things on the outside. Uh, we would look at a crowd and such, and we would say, well, they could kind of wait. I mean, they're not that desperate. I mean, if they had the ability to come to this place to chase after Jesus, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're fine. Like, we don't have to rush into anything. And yet, Jesus, he sees the desperate need in people. Um, he sees the lostness in people. When you see people, do you see people uh, just someone to, to avoid or someone who is in need of the gospel? No, we care about missions because Jesus cares about people. Reaching the lost was a priority for Jesus, and therefore it should be a priority for the body of Christ, the church, as well. And now we ask the question, but how? How can we practically you know, meet the needs of people? And this is where the story gets interesting, because in verse 12, we are told that you know, it got kind of late. The day began to wear away, so the sun is about to set. And the 12, they come to Jesus and they say, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. Now in verse 14, we are told that this crowd contains about uh, 5,000 men. So if you add up the women and the children that were likely there, you're looking at about you know, 20,000 people gathered together. It's, it's a massive crowd. And so they are in this desolate place. There's nowhere near, no Walmart, no Chick-fil-A to to feed these people. And so the disciples, seeing that people are getting hungry, seeing that they need a place to stay, they come up with a very reasonable, a logical solution. What they say is this. In other Gospels, uh, it talks about how they they calculated the cost. Uh, They talk about 200 denarii, which is roughly about $20,000. And I think the math was like this, if, even if we spend $1 per person, like to provide food, to provide shelter, it's going to take us $20,000 to take care of this crowd. And we don't have $20,000. Even if we had $20,000, there's no place to buy all that food. And even if, if we can buy all that food, how are we going to carry all this food to these people? And so this, this, this is impossible. We can't do really anything for them. The best thing that we can do to them is that just send them away. like Just let them know that we're sorry, but you have to come back tomorrow. Their need is too great. I think a lot of times when we see people, we feel like their need is too great. Their problems are too serious for us, that there's not much that we can do. I mean, we can bless them. We can pray for them. We can wish the best for them, but there's not much that we can do. And so we kind of walk away. And so, and the disciples came up with a very logical, reasonable situation based on the conditions. But notice what Jesus says in verse 13. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. You do it. You you feed the people. That's Jesus' solution to this problem. The disciples are facing a problem that's bigger than themselves. And Jesus is telling the disciples, you do something about it. Does anyone feel this way when you are told things in the Bible and you're told to do the work of God? Like what he is asking of you seems way too big and what you have seems way too small. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel like that a lot of times when when god asks me to live a life for the great commission to make disciples of all nations to baptize people in the name of the father son and the holy spirit to teach them all that jesus has commanded them to be generous with all that i have with my, t- my time with my resources to love people sacrificially the question is that task seems too great but what i have seems too little jesus this is impossible maybe if things change in my life maybe if i start making six figures That's when I'll think about doing God's work. Maybe if I have, you know, a, a, a home that I can stay, maybe if I, I'm, I'm done with all, all, all paying off all my debt, maybe, um, you know, when I'm able to send my kids off to school or maybe they, they go off to university, uh, but even then I have to think about their, their weddings and all that, but maybe when I make enough and I saved enough, if I'm ready for my retirement, that's when I'll do the work of God. And by that time, you're like 60, 70, and you're ready to do the work of God. And you're like, man, I feel like it's kind of too late. You know, when we think about the work of God, we automatically think of what we don't have, what we are lacking in our lives. And we use that as an excuse to say, God, but I'm not able to do what you are asking me to do. But notice today's passage. Jesus, he takes the five loaves of, of bread it's not even nice Panera bread. It's, 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 it's barley loaves. Um, it's something that's like only poor men ate and two pieces of, of dried up fish, uh, a happy meal of, of a kid. And, and, and they bring this to Jesus. In, in Mark, it actually says, you know, before all of this, Jesus, when he hears that the disciples, you know, they, they think this is an impossible task, what Jesus says to them is this, go and see what you have. Go see what you have. Before you complain, before you think this is impossible, go see what you have. And what they found was, was five loaves of bread and two fish. And so they bring this back, and, and what we see is Jesus doesn't mock them. He doesn't say, like, is this all you have? No, that's not what he says. It says in verse 14, And he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each, a size that's good for a banquet, and and they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he took up the up to heaven. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And and what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Twelve baskets of of broken pieces so i just want to make two points in today's sermon two things that we learn about jesus when we trust and follow jesus jesus will meet our deepest needs when we trust and follow jesus jesus will meet our deepest needs the end of the story is this that people they didn't just get a bite they didn't just get enough to survive but they received enough to be satisfied And it's not just talking about a satisfaction that comes from your stomach. It's talking about this this satisfaction that comes um, in totality. And this is what's awesome about Jesus. Because people in power, people who have authority, people who have possessions, a lot of times, they would use their power for their own good, for their own well-being, for their own satisfaction. But you have a king You have a Savior who is willing to use his ultimate power, not just for his own good, but for the good of others. First for the glory of God, but for the good of others. He uses his power to meet the needs of people, to provide and supply what people are lacking. And, And in this, they are satisfied. Notice that his provision is not just sufficient. His provision, it brings satisfaction. It, it's something that's, that, that, that's beyond what we could ever imagine. And so Jesus, when we trust and follow him, he will provide and he will satisfy. He's going to meet the deepest needs of our lives. But the second thing that we learn from this story is this, because you might be thinking, man, I could surely use like you know this, this miracle in my life, some provision, some satisfaction. I surely want that. But the second lesson that we learn from today's story is this, When you trust and follow Jesus, he is gonna use your life to meet the deepest needs of others' lives. He's gonna use your life to meet the deepest needs of others' lives. Now, if you think about it, Jesus could easily have just brought bread from heaven. I mean, that happened in Exodus before. Uh, He could have made bread appear from stones or or something. Um, There is a million different ways that Jesus could have solved this problem himself. But what we see is this, Jesus didn't need the disciples, but he wanted the disciples to be involved in this. And that's how mission works. Sometimes we wonder, why doesn't Jesus just do something in the sky so that put a gospel presentation, a wordless book in the sky so that people can all see the good news of Jesus Christ. That would be awesome. And God is more than able to do that. He doesn't need us to advance his kingdom and to reach the nations but he chooses to do so, so that we can be part of his kingdom work. And that's grace, how he would use unworthy people like us to accomplish his great purposes. So how does, he, how, how does he do this? How does he use us to meet the deepest needs of others' lives? I think two things that we have to remember. There are two reasons why people went away satisfied that day. First, the disciples, were willing to give what little they had. The disciples were willing to give what little they had. You know, in, in Mark 6, verse 38, again, Jesus told the disciples, hey, go see what you have. As we are fixated on what we don't have, as we are busy comparing our lives with others and saying, man, Jesus, that's why I can't serve you because I don't have all that in my life. I'm not well off like other people. I can't be generous in such a way. I don't have the time. Like, I'm so busy. And do you notice that Jesus is not asking you to bring something to the table, something that you don't have? He's telling you, what do you have? And you might think, well, what I have is so little. There's no way that this is going to feed a crowd of 20,000. But what you notice is that when you are willing to bring what little you have to the hands of Jesus, Jesus begins to multiply. And he begins to bless your 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 giving and your trust. No, Jesus is not interested in what you don't have. He's interested in what you have. What do you have today? And One thing I was really encouraged by here uh, when I heard all the mission, the, the testimonies um, today and also on on Wednesday is this: that a lot of people they felt like you know. Th- you know, there's, there's a lot of barriers when it comes to missions. I don't speak the language. I don't know what I can really do in the mission field. And one of the biggest things that they did is actually interact with the missionaries, encourage them, love on them, hear their stories. Like that was one of the best parts of, of the mission trip. A lot of the missionaries actually later on sent messages to our church, uh, letters to our church sharing how, you know, they just felt loved. And A lot of times that's what they need to rem- remember that they're not in this alone, but they have partners praying, supporting, loving on them, thinking of their families. You know, I, I read one report in, um, in Ecuador how, you know, basically the team brought a couple toys for the, for the children. And, and that just, you know, that was like, it was like just some Legos, and, but that just made their day. Why? Because it's an expression of love. We might think that we don't have much to offer, but when we are willing to give whatever we have, God can work through us and reach people. But the second thing that we see is this. The disciples not only were willing to give what little they had, they were willing to share with others. They were willing to share with others. I think that's super important because Jesus, he calls the disciples, and their task is to, to share. They were probably hungry too, but they obediently take the the, the fish the loaves of bread, and, and they start sharing, and as they are sharing, things multiply. And I think that's the beauty of Christianity. When you focus on sharing, you realize that it's, you, you're not lacking inside. That's why later on, Paul says in the book of Acts, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Because as much as you are pouring out on other people, you recognize God is supplying your every need and allowing you to overflow in grace and in resources so that you can meet the needs of other people. When God calls you to work for his plan, he's willing to pay for it. He doesn't just draw up a plan and say, you go and figure it out. No, he's willing to provide and pay for that plan. I think we have to trust him. We have to follow him. We have to be willing to give our lives to him. I love um, the story of D.L. Moody, one of the great evangelists. Um, you know, he, he, he didn't have a good education. He, his job was to, to fix uh, shoes. And, and so um, one thing that people had against D.L. Moody was that his grammar was so off. Like sometimes like, he would preach a sermon or, or write something up, and literally he would receive letters with all these marks saying, you know, and, and like this is how bad your English is. And I love one time, a guy actually came up and, 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 and gave this to D.O. Moody. And D.O. Moody, on that spot, this is what he said. Man, I can see that you're really good at English, and that's awesome. Like, you have better language skills, better education than me. If God is able to use me to do all this, imagine what he can do through all that you have. And that was so eye-opening. Because we tend to think little of what we have and just say, okay, there's never no way that God can use this. But when we take what little we have and we give it to the Lord, that he's able to multiply. Now, still, if you're on that boat thinking that, I really don't have anything to offer. In John six, the same story is told, but this time just actually explains what's going on because the disciples, they come later on and they're trying to understand this miracle. Actually, in the Gospel of John, the word miracle is not used. Uh, It's used as sign because every miracle points to uh, a reality of Jesus. So they're asking, you know, Jesus, what just happened? Like, why did you feed this crowd? And Jesus says this, you know, the people experienced something great today, just like the people in Exodus because they miraculously received manna from heaven and, and they ate. But here's the thing, your forefathers ate manna and they went hungry again. But Jesus says this in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The point that Jesus was trying to make through the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't that just Jesus is able to meet your physical needs. The point that Jesus was trying to make is this, that your physical needs can be met by Jesus but there's a deeper need that exists in you It's not just physical bread that's going to satisfy you. What's going to truly satisfy you is the living bread. It's Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. And how do we share the bread of life, Jesus Christ? First of all, it's by giving what little we have to make him known in this world. It's by willing to share what we have with others, having compassion, seeing the lostness in people. And so if you are a Christian today, If you are a follower of Jesus today, you have the power and the authority of Jesus upon you, and you don't need a whole lot to accomplish his mission. You might say, well, I don't feel that way. Think about what Jesus says in the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, and remember, I am with you to the end of the ages. Jesus sent his disciples out, not because they had incredible skills or knowledges, but he sent them out with his power, with his authority. As long as they are obedient to Jesus, he's saying that I'm going to deliver. I'm going to work through you. So experience that power today. Trust in his power and know that what God has given you is meant to be used for his kingdom's sake. So let's leverage our lives for the glory of God and for the good of others. Amen? Let's pray.